This week on Myths and Legends, we'll learn some valuable parenting advice about follow-through and empty threats and how both of those can end in way too many beheadings. The creature this week is Lazy Lawrence, a horse pixie who dispenses hard justice on apple orchard thieves. This is Myths and Legends, episode 287, Sob Story. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today's story is from Korean folklore and takes place in the 6th century. It has some historical stuff, so it's technically a legend. And we'll jump in with a king who has a daughter who has a problem. What is that problem? Well, no one knows. But that doesn't stop her from crying about it. Constantly. But like, why is she crying? The advisor asked the king. The king shrugged. His daughter cried, like all the time. Yeah, but like, that's not normal, the advisor said, for the princess or for anybody to be crying all the time. That's what I'm saying. It is nonstop with these tears. It's noisy, it's annoying, the king agreed. No, but not to keep going back to this, have you, have you ever asked her why she's crying constantly? The king thought about it. Yeah, kinda. Like, he's threatened her a lot. Does, is that what the advisor meant? How is that a kind of? The advisor almost said, but remembered that he liked his head on top of his shoulders. Okay, that's a start. The advisor knew how to handle the king. Uh, what types of threats? Oh, just like, if you don't stop all this crying nonsense, you'll never be married off to a good husband. No noble man will be as understanding as I am. And other stuff, like I've been threatening to marry her off to the fool, Ondal. The advisor thought about it. Wait, the guy who lived out in the mountains with his blind mom? Didn't he, like, eat bark? The king laughed. Yeah, he ate bark when he wasn't begging for food. That's the rumor, at least. But yeah, that, that's the guy. Hilarious, right? I don't know, it's kind of sad more than anything, the advisor trailed off. That a person would have to live in those conditions, let alone be mocked for it instead of helped kind of spoke to a failure of the system more than any personal failure on the part of Ondo. Oh, aren't you Mr. Progressive for a guy who makes his living supporting an aristocratic monarchical regime, the king said. Also, this is the 500s AD. The aristocracy has eroded the royal power and influence. My government actually, historically, goes to great lengths to reform stuff like agricultural and cereal-cultural development. I've actually really scaled back on the royal cuisine. The advisor said, wow... How thoughtful. The king agreed. He also didn't want to die when people stormed his palace because they were starving, and he was eating the 6th century Korean equivalent of, I don't know, filet. Uh, but, yeah, fool Ondal. I mean, he wasn't actually going to do it, marry his daughter off to the fool, but, for some reason, threatening to tether her by marriage for life to the person the king saw as the absolute worst in the kingdom, for some reason that didn't stop her tears only made them worse. I can't imagine why, the advisor rolled his eyes. Yeah, me neither, the king shrugged and waved in the first of the supplicants for the day. 
truly, we don't know why the princess cried. The princess's name is Pyeonggong, and the kingdom, which survived from the 1st century to the 7th, comprises all of modern-day North Korea, expanding into modern-day China, and making up about half of South Korea as well. Anyway, not sure if she outgrew whatever reason she had for crying, or just came to terms with the occasional disillusionment and disappointment that accompanies adult life. Regardless, since she had stopped all that crying nonsense, and was of marriageable age, 16 years old, it was wedding time. No, hard pass, Princess Pyeonggong said, crossing her arms. The king smiled awkwardly at Go, the leader of one of the biggest tribes in his kingdom. <laughs> this one, she was such a joker. When she was a kid, she cried for like three years straight. Hilarious. Excuse us, please. The king yanked Princess Pyeonggong's arm to the side of the room. Pass? Hard pass? Seriously? Did she understand how difficult it was to get this guy to the table? Their regime was hanging on by a thread, and she risked defending the leader of one of the biggest factions in the kingdom? They were this close to getting a full menu back in the palace. Did she never want to eat fancy foods again? The princess said she was so sad to upset her father's ambitions, but she couldn't marry this, like, what, 50-year-old man? She was already pledged to another. Both the father and Go, the tribal leader, pricked up their ears. What? Princess Pyeonggang laughed. Her father, the king, shouldn't act like he didn't know. He had made the arrangement. Pyeonggang turned to Go. So sorry. She was already pledged to be married to the fool, Ondal. Right, Dad? Go screwed himself up, indignant. Ondal the fool? The guy who ate bark? Was this some sort of joke, king? The king said yes. That's exactly what it was, a joke. His daughter wouldn't stop crying when she was a kid, so he threatened to marry her off to Ondal the fool. He pledged me a marriage, Pyeonggong shrugged. Sorry. Go shook his head in disgust. He couldn't believe what he was hearing. He stormed out of the palace. The king chased after him, but after a good bit of explanation about how, even if the king meant it as a joke, Go was still being rejected for Ondal. Also, the king had a bad sense of humor. Not like edgy or unconventional, but like just bad. He had offended Go and his tribe here today. This wouldn't be the last the king heard of them. The king's shoulders dropped. Ah, he was never getting a full menu back. When he made it back to the main hall, he was shaking with rage. What did Princess Pyeonggang think she was doing? Marrying Go? That was an order, and she disobeyed that. Hey, I was helping you, the princess said. He had said so many times that she was to marry Ondal the Fool if she wouldn't stop crying, and she didn't stop crying. Why would that change now? Even thieves try not to lie. How much more important was it for the king, the pinnacle of nobility, to be honest? The princess maybe didn't realize the game she was playing, or that she was immediately out of her depth. The king said, fine. She wanted to be insolent? She could do it on her own. She wanted to be disobedient? Well, she wouldn't disobey him anymore. She had three older brothers. His dynasty was fine. He was done with her. The princess froed her brow. What? Yeah, I'm disowning you. Whatever other disword you can think of, you're not my daughter anymore, he said, crossing his arms. I'm not sure if it was another bluff, but Princess Pyeonggong was her father's daughter, and she wasn't going to be manipulated. She also crossed her arms. Great, 
Awesome. She was getting tired of living here anyway. Yeah, tired of living in the palace. That's fantastic. I guess this worked out for both of us, didn't it? King Dad said. Yeah, seems that way. I'm so happy, Princess Pyongong said, definitely meaning it. Me too. This is awesome, Dad said. This passive-aggressive posturing continued for a solid five minutes, until an advisor was so glad that he entered the room to walk right into all that. After a sharp yell from both the royals, the princess stomped off. I don't know where I went wrong here, or even if I did. Teenagers, am I right? They're so difficult to read. Like, you want responsibility, but you don't want to marry a 50-year-old warlord? Entitled much? King rolled his eyes before throwing himself back on the throne. You probably went wrong when you got mad and told her to leave and never come back, is what the advisor didn't say. The king sat up and smiled when one of his warriors came through the door. Ah, very good. He was having Pyongong tracked so he could keep tabs on her. The advisor sighed. The man was literally paying multiple people to keep an eye on her instead of, you know, talking. She gave us the slip when she left the city. We have no idea where she is, the warrior said and winced. Also, she took, like, a lot of money with her when she left. Of course she did, the king said. Of course she did. The princess had noticed the guards trailing her pretty much as soon as she left the palace. She spent her whole life there. She knew those guys. They weren't terribly hard to lose. She asked around and found the location of her destination. She found the shack outside the city and knocked on the door. The mother shuffled to the door and asked who it was, taking the princess's hands into her own after the princess bowed to her. I'm looking for your son, Undal, the princess said. The elderly mother cocked her head feeling the hands because she couldn't see. And why would this young woman be looking for Ondal? Because I'm going to marry him, the princess smiled. The mother pulled away her hands with a start. Look, she couldn't see, but even she knew how this place looked. She also knew how the young woman's hands felt. They were silken. She smelled like perfume. Ondal was a sweet kid. The mother loved him. Pyongong didn't want to marry Ondal. Pyongong replied that she did. The mother stood up, growing more indignant. They were so hungry that Ondal had to go to the mountains to get some elm bark to eat because people in the city laughed at him so much. People like this noble woman here. This was their life. They were barely surviving. The mother didn't know who put her up to this, but it wasn't funny. Before the princess had any chance to explain the elderly mother slammed the door in Pyongong's face. The princess thought that that could have gone better. She sighed and started walking off into the wilderness. Elmbark is edible, you know, Onda said when the princess surprised him in a grove, stripping bark from a tree. You peel off the outside and you can eat the cambrium layer underneath. An elm that peels away pretty easily. So, you know, please don't spread rumors that I'm eating wood out here. You must be Ondal. Princess Pyongong smiled. 
The young man's shoulders slumped. So his reputation preceded him. Yes. Yes, he was. He paused to look the visitor over. She wore a traveling cloak over her silks, and her dress was fringed with dirt, but both the dress and the cloak were worth many, many times the price of Ondal in his mother's shack. And who might you be? Ondal asked. I'm the princess. Pyongang, the princess said. Since my youth, I was told that I would marry you, Ondal, and here I am to make good on that promise. Ondal, will you marry me? Ondal almost dropped his axe. What was happening? The princess said the same thing again. She was the princess. She wanted to marry him. Ondal said, Okay, um, one request from him. Get back. The princess chuckled. What? She said she wanted to marry him. And Ondal said, Yeah, that was the problem. The princess stepped forward, and Ondal raised his axe. Not another step. The princess froze. What was happening? Ondal was also frozen, axe in the air. What was happening was that she was a liar. Princesses don't come out into the mountains to propose to Ondal the fool. I don't think you're, I don't care what you think, Ondal cut her off. Because this, this doesn't happen. He didn't know what she was. If she was a Dokebi, a Kamiho, or just a demon, but this didn't happen. I'm not a fox monster, the princess said, taking yet another step forward. That was too much. Ondal broke and ran as fast as he could. That fox monster wasn't eating his organs today. He also serpentined. Not sure if it would help, but probably couldn't hurt. We'll see if Ondal can get over the possibility that the princess is a fox monster who wants to eat his liver, but that will be right after this. She's there, again, the mother said. I accidentally kicked her this morning. You know, I actually don't think that she's a fox monster now. A Kamiho wouldn't put so much effort into trying to kill you. It probably would have just eaten your liver in the mountains and called it a day. The mother was right. I mean, we've been following the princess almost the whole time and she isn't a fox monster, so spoilers, I guess. She had been sleeping outside the twig gate for two nights. The mother said, you know, maybe we should talk to her. Ondal thought about it. This was a pretty big length for someone to go to in order to prank him. At this point, it would be kind of sadder for her to have spent all this time. He sighed. Sure. All right. Let's talk to her. Uh, My son is nothing. Like, he's nobody. He's no one. He's poor. The mother started. When Princess Pyongong sat across from them, Ondal turned, okay, Ow, like he got that every day from everyone, but it hurt differently hearing that from his mom. The mom ignored him. He is in no way worthy of becoming the spouse of such an honorable person. In fact, it's unbecoming of us to even entertain you in our house, the mom said. As hurtful as it all was, Ondao recognized the truth of her words. The princess thanked the mother for her honesty and then spoke her own piece. 
I'll quote from one source directly for this next part. One little bit of grain is enough to pound in a mortar. One tiny piece of cloth is enough to sew. If our hearts are truly together as one, it's not right to say that we can only be together if there is wealth and fame. The mother was moved to tears. She nodded. She understood. She just had one more question. Him? Really? Ondao said, Mom, seriously, stop. The mom threw up her hands. What? It was a valid question. She felt Ondao's face. She could smell him. Ondao said, okay, in his defense, whenever he tried to bathe, people laughed at him and threw stuff at him. Still, Ondao, you're not punching your weight here. The mom said that Ondao had to recognize that. Ondao did. He realized that this person in front of them was wise, smart, and, and beautiful. And for some reason, she wanted to be with him. Ondal said yes. They were married in a small ceremony. The princess kept her identity a secret from the other people in the city. And the people were surprised that Ondal was getting married at all, let alone to her. Princess Pyongong got along well with the mother and the son in the shack. And she and Ondal lived happily as husband and wife. One morning... The princess took Ondal for a walk outside of the town. They walked together, hand in hand, next to the rice paddies. They came up to a house. Princess Pyongong asked Ondal if he would ever want to live in a house like that. Ondal looked it over. Yeah, of course. But it wouldn't happen. The princess asked, why? Ondal smiled. He, the whole city, thought he was a fool. Ondal didn't even know how it started, but he basically grew up with people laughing at him. But Ondal knew who he was. He was a survivor, and it didn't matter what everyone thought, only what he thought of himself. But he had been born in poverty to a blind mother. Things like this didn't happen for him. He had accepted that. It made things easier. Pyongong said that Ondal was married to a princess, so... Things like that did happen to him. Also, this house was their house. She bought it with all the riches she lined her pockets with when she left the palace. Honda laughed, but then realized the princess wasn't laughing. Wait, what? The servants who came to take his cloak made Ondao believe that maybe the princess was telling the truth. Also, when he entered the house, his mom was inside. Hi, Ondal, where are they? She was low-key kidnapped this morning, but all this felt nice, so yeah, getting some mixed signals here. Andel said, we were home? The farm was a farm. The princess had hired out most of the labor, so they didn't have to do much. The farm basically ran itself, and after it paid for the workers, turned enough of a profit so that Andel, the mother, and Pyongong could focus on other things. And Pyongong had plans. They involved hunting? Each year, the people would gather on a hill outside the city. They would hunt wild boar and deer and then present those in rituals to the gods. It was such a big deal that even the king and all of his top military people joined in the hunt. They were really looking for positive PR to not be overthrown. Anyway, over the course of the year after they married, Princess Pyongong took Ondal out and trained with him daily. She taught him everything she had learned. She had grown up with an unconventional group of tutors. It shouldn't come as a surprise that she insisted on being taught everything 
given how she ended up exiled by her dad for not conforming to his wishes. Anyway, she had learned to fight and hunt and ride. She learned to break and care for horses. And she taught all that to Ondal. Each morning, they would spend hours drilling. And Ondal, surprise, surprise, wasn't a fool. He was a thoughtful and diligent student. And soon, he matched the skill of the princess. They also bought horses from the palace. The story makes a point of mentioning this, so I will too. But the princess told Ondal to avoid buying horses from merchants in the city and buy the rejected royal horses from the palace. They were young and cheap, and they only needed a little more care and training to be as good as any horse out there. So, when March 3rd came, the day of the hunt, Undel sat atop the horse he had trained himself, prepared with the princess's instruction, and the hunt started. And Undal completely killed it, in that he killed a lot of things. He caught and killed so many animals that he couldn't even drag them all back. The king stood in awe of the young man. Such power, such grace. What was the man's name? I am Ondal, Ondal said, announcing it just like that in a big reveal. The king chuckled. Oh, Ondal asked, what was that about? The king just shook his head. Oh, it was, it, it was nothing. He must be new in town because there was this guy that lived up in the mountains, Ondal the Fool. Just saying, you might want to go by your middle name. This guy is, like, terrible. The king actually used to threaten his daughter with marriage to the fool. The king said it's, it's funnier than it sounds. It was You really had to be there. The guy ate bark. Ondal said bark was actually very edible in a pinch. Oh, the king was moving on. Nice to meet you, your majesty. The king, though, was never the point of the hunt. Two of the generals found Ondal and introduced themselves. They said he had a cool composure under pressure, obvious training, and he knew how to ride a horse. They asked if Ondal ever thought about serving his king in a more official capacity. When Ondal was given the choice to enlist as an officer, he didn't know a war was going on. On his farm in the country and generally reviled by the city at large, probably just so they could feel better about their own lives by laughing at someone else, he was a few steps removed from the news. The general gave Ondal his command, and he said goodbye to his mom, and a much longer goodbye to Pyongyang. His life was unlike anything he thought possible. Sure, the princess's money and farm had helped, but even more than that, she was the first person other than his mother who didn't see him as a complete fool. She was like that. She saw the best in everyone, even if they couldn't see it in themselves. With her help and her leading, he was living a life where he and his mother had a future. Ondal was making a real difference. And that real difference, it seemed, involved cutting off a lot of heads. So, since this regime had a difficult time maintaining their rule, it would have been fun if the attacker, the leader of the rebel army, was Go, the leader that the princess rejected in the first act. But, unfortunately, it's just some Emperor Mew, from a country that existed for about 50 years in the 10th century, despite this story being set in the 6th. But anyway, his empire lasted only about 50 years, so you can probably imagine how his push to conquer his neighbors went. He would have been able to conquer Goguryeo, Ondal's kingdom, if not for Ondal the fool himself, 
face coated with dirt and grime and blood, Ondal rode in front of his men. <laughs> they thought this was hard. But for Ondal, all those times in the forest, chipping at trees for his dinner, being kicked and beaten and spit on whenever he went to town to care for his ailing mother, the people jeering at him for being a fool since before he could speak, knowing that that was his future until he died in the street, they called Ondal brave, fearless. But it was only that he knew what it took to survive. He had been doing it since he was a child. The men, seeing their officer ride off into the carnage, had no choice but to be inspired. They ran off after him, and, Ondal's grip bolstered by Pyongong's training, Ondal's side won the day, and the war. The invaders never returned, probably because they seemed like they were kind of bad at this. And yeah, it's said that Ondal returned to the capital a hero with Dozens of enemy heads. Which, by the way, if you don't return home with literally dozens of heads, can you really say that that business trip was a success? Ondal looked out on the crowds cheering his name. The same that used to jeer at him. He realized how transient the trappings of fame and glory were. He only wished to return to the person who loved him when he was nothing, or when he thought of himself as nothing. Pyongong. Wait, you're the guy from the hunt. The king smiled. Thought I told you to change that name. Nah, I'm just messing with you. Taking it back. I like it. Besides, no one has heard from Ondal the Fool in months. Probably dead from eating all those trees. Anyway, you... You're married, right? Ondal nodded. The king asked if he could tempt his new star general with some bigamy. He didn't have any daughters. Anymore. A look of pain flashed on the king's face. He, he shook it away. He didn't have any daughters, but some of his nobles did. Ondal thanked the king, but said no. He was happy with his one wife. Well, bring her here. We'll have a grand dinner in your honor. After a tearful reunion, Pyongong actually did agree to the dinner at the palace. She looked at her silk gown, frayed and dirty from the day she left, and smiled. So these are the Ondals. Wait, we don't have an established surname yet, right? We'll just call you the Ondals, the king said the following evening. The mother bowed low before her king. And where's that wife of yours? The king bellowed. Pyongong stepped from behind her husband. The king's words stuck in his throat. Pyongong. Tears welled. He stood and ran to his daughter. He had her followed, but they lost her because his guys were the worst. No one had heard from her in months. He feared the worst. He was so, so sorry. He looked at Ondal. Wait. She married him? She made good on his threat. This, this was Ondal the Fool. They both said maybe just Ondal. The other one was still pretty offensive and carried a lot of emotional baggage. The king couldn't stop beaming. Oh, yeah, well, how about this? How about son? The king embraced the pair. We'll wrap up the story, but that will, once again, be right after this. The king died just a few years later. His first son came to power, and the nearby kingdoms 
decided to test just how far the young king would go to defend his claims. The kingdom of Sheila, according to the story, took the north of the Han River. Ondal bowed before his brother-in-law and king. He would go. This land had been theirs. It had been the land of their parents. Well, not his parents, but in a more general sense. The people wept over it. He wanted to bring it back. The new king nodded, and pride swelled within Pyongong. She was proud of the man she had married. She loved him when she married him, and she was proud of who he had become. Ondao watched his men storm the castle, yelling for more to come. It was almost theirs. It hadn't been easy. And Ondao had to ride out under the volley of arrows. But when they saw his bravery, they followed. Ondao looked out on the sunset. Here he was, the man he never thought he could be. He was brave, inspiring, and it had all been thanks to Pyongong. He loved her. He loved her so... He felt the arrow sink into his chest. He gripped it and fell from his horse. It was the final shot of the battle, before the castle was retaken. As he laid there in the mud, every breath sliced him. Already his clothing and armor was sticky and hot with his blood. He was dying. He laid there on the battlefield, looking up at the stars, just starting to appear in the night sky. He thought, he thought he and Pyongong would have more time. He didn't want to leave. He didn't want, with that, Ondal the Fool died a hero. Never, even in her youth, did Pyongong weep so much. It started out in spite, her marriage, kind of, but she grew to love Ondal. Now, he was gone. She somehow made it through the funeral. But when it came time to bury Ondal, the coffin wouldn't move. Now, coffins can be heavy, but Ondal wasn't. They doubled the amount of guys pushing, still, no one could get this thing to move at all. They tried wedging something underneath it. That didn't work. They tried lifting it, they couldn't, and the wheels were locked into place. It was like the coffin was fused to the ground. Pyongong wiped her tears. She knew what she must do. The story says that she went up to the coffin and told Ondol, this, all this, it was fate. It was already decided before they met when they would live and die. Please leave now, dearest. I also like to think that she echoed how he felt in the moments before he died. How he wanted to hold on. He wished they had more time. That she wished those same things. But they didn't. Fate had given them the time they had together. And they had loved each other. They needed to let go. Whatever she said, the coffin rolled free after that. Ondal listened to Pyongong to the last. One book I found with this story did an excellent in-depth analysis on Ondal being a fool. Really, I guess a more accurate translation is Ondal the Idiot, 
uh, but I didn't really feel the need to keep saying that. His status was completely as a result of his circumstances and environment. He was seen as a fool, at least to the king in his court, because he lived in a remote, mountainous region. The princess, in following the king's promise to the letter, showed that you should have respect for all people, no matter their social station. And Undal's status as a fool is more an indictment of not just the king's prejudice, but the disparity in his kingdom. That would somehow imply that large groups of his own people were not worthy of respect. I also like that, according to the story, Undal was ugly. Now, that is deeply subjective and mean, and different people find different people attractive. Also, I should note that only the king and his advisors call Ondal ugly in the originals, so we're having that filtered through their problematic perspectives. But in stories where ugly means bad or deficient or even evil, it was nice to see a reportedly ugly character rise and find worth in themselves. It also helps the princess's point of all people having worth. A person born into poverty, supposedly lacking in intelligence and attractiveness, is uh, sadly the punching bag of many fairy tales and legends. It is not right, but it is unfortunately the reality in many of these stories. The princess, though, saw worth in Ondal. Even when the world told Ondal he shouldn't see worth in himself, with love, understanding, and time, she helped Ondal blossom into a person even he never thought he could be. Also, uh, money. She bought him a farm, and that meant he didn't have to eat bark anymore, so that helped. The true ending to the story is the princess changing the king's mind. One source says that the country was now a country of hope, where your looks, status, or bank account weren't everything, and that everyone could be a hero, even Undal, the so-called fool. The creature this week is Lazy Lawrence, from England. Lazy Lawrence is a pixie, and pixies can come in two distinct forms. The first are little pale dudes that are hand-sized, baby-sized, infant-sized, or just small, which all those feel like just saying just small. They can be found dancing in circles or wrestling, and they like messing with people. Not as much as the cult pixies like messing with people, apparently. Cult pixies are horses, but something seems off about them, mainly because they can shapeshift and are not actually horses. Lazy Lawrence is a cult pixie. Lazy Lawrence is the protector of apple orchards. And at first I was like, who wants to rob an apple orchard? Then I learned that that's where they keep all the cider and it made me want to rob it even less because I hate hard cider. I'm not sure if pixies can get COVID, uh, but if they can, you probably don't want to go drinking and also passing out in an apple orchard because he makes people super tired and they fall asleep and then he steals a few sips of whatever they're drinking. If he's feeling mean that day, he'll give you a stomachache. What he hates the most, though, are tourists. Or, in a bit more problematic way of putting it, people who aren't from around there. Newcomers to the forests. The main story has to do with some people who came into the area from London, who belittled the locals and stuck up their nose, riding wherever they liked after insulting the horses at the stable, and leaving gates open for animals to escape all over the area. They passed an orchard and, finding themselves hungry, took some fruit. This would be their undoing. They didn't notice the same person in each place they went. They passed him on the trail, in the town, and he ran the bar at the local pub. They complained loudly about how terrible everything was out here in the sticks, and the bartender agreed. 
He actually had his own special brew. He topped off their glasses for free, and they loved it. They took him up on his offer of kind of way too much cider, and both feeling it, got back on their horses and headed to the stable. The lady fell asleep on hers, and the man was teetering on his as he trotted up to the stable. The stable boys laughed at him, and he demanded to know what they found so funny. They pointed out that that wasn't the horse he had left on. He noticed that it was some kind of ragged colt, but barely had any time to respond when it threw him from the saddle and kicked him in the belly. He landed, groaning in the mud. That same little man that was on the trail, in the town, and at the pub, was seen laughing out on the road. The colt had disappeared. Uh, so yeah, don't steal apples, because you might end up some arrogant dandy, covered in mud with a few broken ribs. Don't steal cider for those reasons, but also because cider is gross. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to more of the music we used in the show notes. Myths and Legends is a registered trademark of Bardic Enterprises, LLC. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.